compared to other people I know, my self-portrayal or who I identify as being is really, really inconsistent and it's bothered me. I'd sort of thought, oh God, who am I? Who am I? That was awful for me. Absolutely awful. But to have to keep the secrets, well, to no, to get into trouble for sharing something with my best friend that was... Yeah, that's what I mean for, for not being able to say about it. I can feel the emotion now. Yeah. My, my world felt ripped apart. My go-to is self-criticism. And again, as a lot of people with ADHD have, it's that, that self-criticism after years of why am I rubbish at this compared to everybody else. Ah, I've had a thought. Um, two thoughts, actually. Mm -hmm. One is... What's the... <laughs> the thought has gone. Hold on. So the other thought is... <laughs> no ADHD here. Hi, I'm Nikki Ship, and I'm Carrie Overton, and we're so excited to be sharing the ADHD connection with you. In each episode, we'll be talking about how our ADHD has impacted us over the last couple of weeks, and using our skills as coaches to try and figure it out together. So join us as we explore the ups, the downs, the highs and lows of living with ADHD, because let's be honest, one way or another, it's a pretty eventful journey. Hi, Nikki. How are you doing? Hi, Carrie. I'm great, thanks. How are you doing? Well, we got here in the end. <laughs> yes, yes. The classic moment that we've just had. So we record this podcast on a platform where you can see each other. So it's a bit like Zoom, but it's a special platform. And <laughs> I can see Nikki and she can see me. Although in this instance, she couldn't see me because she accidentally had a Zoom tab open. And so she could hear me through her speakers because we were on the podcast platform mm. and was like, I can't work out why I can't see you. And then realised that she was looking at Zoom. So, so here there we, we are. are now. I, I'm not going to make any excuses. I'm going to say, isn't that the perfect example of ADHD in its finest? <laughs> yeah, too many tabs open. <laughs> so, um, uh, what's been happening for you in the last couple of weeks together? <laughs> Well, actually, um, yeah, it's I. I had a moment of realization and sort of awareness that that's been quite significant, actually, from watching, believe it or not, the Barbie movie. So, have you seen it, Nikki? No, I haven't seen the Barbie movie. <laughs> okay, so you don't you don't need to have seen it to for, for sort of this to work. But there's a part in the Barbie movie where all the different Barbies, as, as there are in in the in actual world, you know, there's sort of chemist Barbie and Doctor Barbie and pilot Barbie and um, you know horse riding Barbie and all of these sorts of different Barbies. And in Barbie world, in the movie, they're all just called Barbie. So they go along, hi Barbie, hi Barbie, hi Barbie, hi Barbie, but they're all different. But they're all Barbie, and they meet somebody from the, the real world, in inverted commas, who, who goes into Barbie world and sort of says, well, who, well, who are you? you? know, There's so many of you. Which one of you is Barbie? And she just says, well, we're all Barbie. And it really 
struck a chord with me um, and made me think about identity. It made me think about masking particularly and how much over my life I've, I've masked so much as many, many people do. And I think I've grown up looking at other people and thinking I've got to be like that. And I'm like that when I'm with them. But if I'm with other people, I morph into what they're like. And I'm trying to sort of, I think it came from watching what's going on and thinking, I don't really know what's going on. I'm going to just look at other people and copy a bit. Mm. But it ended up being almost part of my personality. So that if I, there are different facets to me, as there are to everybody, and I sometimes feel very confused about which one is me because I, as as just as an example, I'm really, as you know, into my sport. So there's a sort of a very sporty me who is always out doing, you know, down the gym or going for a run or riding my bike or doing whatever, playing some sort of sport. There's the part of me who loves to put on really smart, nice clothes and be dressed up and feeling like I'm in my role and being professional. There's a part of me that's this real laid back hippie who's quite happy sort of barefoot in my allotment, growing vegetables <laughs> and feeling very free range. Yeah. There's a part of me that loves really glamming up and putting on a pair of high heels and putting loads of makeup on and, you know, a nice sort of snazzy outfit and going out for a night looking really glam. And loads and loads of other ones in between. And I feel sometimes, and this is maybe worth unpicking, but compared to people, other people I know, who broadly fit into a, a sort of type, that's how they look, that's how they are, that's, that's, you know, how they portray themselves consistently, my self-portrayal or my who I identify as being is really, really inconsistent. And it's it's bothered me in the past. I've sort of thought, oh God, who am I? Who am I? But when I went and saw the Barbie movie and she said, we're all Barbie. And I sort of had this, oh my God, we're all Carrie. I can be sporty running carry I can be glam carry I can be professional carry I can be all of these different ones and they are all me and that doesn't sort of un unpick the masking element of it but I found that really reassuring that actually they are all part of me and so when I come back from the gym or a run in the morning and I'll jump in the shower, I found myself asking me, who am I today? <laughs> and and allowing that to be rather than, and and, and I've had some sort of, it, it's been good. It's been a positive, it's been a calming thing for me to think, oh, today, actually, I feel like girly Carrie and I'm going to put on a nice, you know, I've got a pink flowy dress on. And that's how I feel. But another time, who am I, might be, 
oh, you know, I'm I'm still sporty Carrie today, so I'm going to put something else on. Does that make does that make any sense at all? Yes, it does make sense, and it's uh, I've got some thoughts, of course. Um, I think what you were saying earlier on about the growing up and sort of morphing into different groups, I think that's thinking about it and thinking about my clients. I think and me. I think that is something that we are uncomfortable about a lot of the time because I get it. I get exactly what you're saying. I think my version of it. Um, but also it's a strength because it's flexibility and you can go into a room and you can learn. I think what we do as ADHDers is that as kids, we don't feel like we fit in because we're, we have a, um, an unerring capability uh, of going in and um, interrupting and blurting out and being very evident. So we tend to stand out in ways that are not necessarily um, beneficial uh, and ways that we'd like. And so we learn coping strategies, uh, some of which are useful and some of which aren't. But so we have this almost desperate need to fit in and find our tribe and feel accepted uh, and safe, I suppose, at the end of the day, um, whilst standing out, not necessarily for the right reasons. And I also think possibly because of our, I mean, I know I'm interested in so many things that I could be talking to a, you know, somebody about cabinet making and I'll be like, oh, how does that work? How do you do that then? How does this work? Yes. And then yes. the next minute be interested in, oh, I don't know, somebody who sells marbles <laughs> or, you know, collects cats or something I don't know but yes and I find it all quite interesting until the until I don't find it interesting yeah. <laughs> and start zoning out but but I think that morphing comes do you think maybe it's a extension of interest it could well be I mean my my curiosity probably matches yours it's one of the many things we we have a, the center of the Venn diagram we, we have in common and uh, I was just <laughs> you just prompted a thought um, one of my clients uh, when I was a designer was uh, a company that made, wait for it, lift door opening systems. So <laughs> elevator door opening systems. So I know, I happen to know that when I go into a lift, if there is a very high pitched whine, I can be safe in the knowledge that the doors are working and they won't shut on me because that's the detectors. See, this is the sort of thrilling thing one learns. Wow. And actually, for quite some time, my job was to find a way of making that interesting visually. So, <laughs> so and actually, it was quite interesting. And I managed to get interested in lift doors. I think if you can get interested in that, you can pretty much get interested in anything. <laughs> that is a talent. <laughs> so, I, I wouldn't say I was excited, but I was interested. So, no, I get what you're saying. And it's about the, the curiosity. Uh, interestingly, so I've heard that curiosity is the antidote to fear. Because if you, it's very hard to be... Say that again. Say that again. Curiosity is the antidote to fear. So it's very hard. And I'm going to shoot this down in flames in a second with something my client said, one of my clients said. But theoretically and generally, if you're curious about something, it's very hard to be scared. Now, one of my clients... Um, writes horror stories for kids and he said yes but what about what's behind the locked door you see so okay all right so I gave him that one I'll say okay fair enough <laughs> oh but yeah. hang on I would say without wanting to go down a little side path no no go on feel free let's go down the side path actually I think what's behind the locked door curiosity then would make you open it and find out yes if you weren't curious, 
you would run away. Yes. So maybe the curiosity supersedes supersedes the fear. So it's possible to feel a bit scared, yeah. but then the curiosity yeah. either takes over or it doesn't. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. Okay, so you've shot that one down and claimed again. I'll go back to it. <laughs> okay, so we've got this need to fit in whilst we stand out. But I do think we learn flexibility and adaptability from that. So you and I are both very much strengths-centred, I'd say, when we're working with people. Yeah. So for every challenge that we have as ADHDers, I mean, in life generally, but especially as ADHDers, because we have extra exciting challenges to deal with, um, then for everyone, there is there is the, um, I mean, I said this before, but there's the, the opposite is the balancing side of it. So it's, it's um, creativity is distraction gone right. That's a... Ned Halliwell saying that. And it's it's so true because creativity is like what happens when you're looking the other way. So if you, as a designer, would keep my left brain happy listening to the radio and all the television at the same time and whatever. Uh, and then um, on one occasion, uh, my hubby at the time came home and found me with the football on the television, the cricket on the radio and working at my drawing board in the living room. And he looked at me and it was a long time ago, so he probably wouldn't have said it this way, but the effect was, what are you like? Yeah. <laughs> But then it's that left brain being active, uh, listening to the whatever it was listening to. And then my right brain could go off and be creative and, oh, what's happening there? And, oh, look at that. And, oh, I thought I was doing this, but, oh, I've gone over there now. So it's it's that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. It's funny, though, because I, I, can't, I can't do that. I can only concentrate on one thing at a time, which, which then means that I... My brain is interested in lots of things at the same time, but I can't take them all in. I can't process them all. Mm. So that's when I flit from one thing to another, to another, to another, to another, because I can't do them simultaneously. And then I sort of... Oh, but I'm flitting. I'm flitting too. Right. So you don't have... You can't have your attention on all of those things. Oh, no, but the it's the flitting between... And I'm aware it's a bit like you're in a restaurant, maybe with somebody boring or at a party. Um. And standing there with your canapes and your glass of wine, and 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 you're standing there listening to whoever's talking to you, and then there's another conversation going on that sounds a bit more interesting, really. Oh God, then I cannot listen to the person I'm talking to. <laughs> then forget it. I do not. Do you not have enough so that you can pay lip service? <laughs> yeah, I've probably mastered the the sort of noddy. Oh, it's masking again. Then a form of masking to bring it back. Yeah, but I wouldn't be taking it in. And I can't choose which I listen to. Oh, okay. I can't sort of... My interest decides what I'm listening to. Yes. So I can't say, oh, God, that that's fascinating, but I'm going to zone that out because I've got to talk to the person about lift doors. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I've left the lift doors and I'm there and I can't I could sort of think oh god no 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 concentrate on the lift doors but I just I can't I can't no but then but at some point I think at said party with glass of wine I think I think what you do is eventually you think I'm not really can't do this anymore so then you find oh I need to go to the loo or yes. something the, the escape hatch suddenly yeah. appears but I think I think sometimes if you are pretty and get <laughs> let's Let's just pretend that it's not to do with lift doors because I know they okay. are the hub of the universe. So yeah. just for a moment, <laughs> if, it's, if it's something slightly more interesting and entertaining and exciting. Uh, say you were, uh, I don't know, you were semi-engaged, but there's another conversation that's also interesting. Uh. And this does happen when you've got 
friends at a dinner party. Yeah, yeah, Because definitely. if they're having a conversation, you kind of, with our sort of minds, there's no way you're just going to focus completely on somebody when there's other distractions going on. Yeah. It just doesn't work. So again, I look on it again, I suppose, gronally as a strength because you get to you get both. You get your cake and eat it in my case. I, I do tune in and out. And so when you were talking about flitting, I think what I do when I was when I had the the two forms of entertainment on and I was working is I was flitting between whichever caught my attention. So I wasn't listening to both at the same time. I was I would I kind of flip. And I don't know whether this is something that I've learned from listening to the radio all these years, um, listening to talk radio, you know, whatever it happens to be, uh, the Beeb or something. And and I don't know whether it's a skill or not. I'm, I'm no idea. No, it's an interesting one. I mean, it's certainly something that I I struggle with. Is And in fact, actually, while we're talking about parties and things like that, how are you with small talk? Because I, <laughs> I hate hate small talk and I can do it because I've trained myself to do it but I avoid it at all costs because it it's tedious is that that's a bit brutal is well I would <laughs> guesstimate sticking my finger in the air and thinking of a number that probably 85 percent of anybody who's listening to this uh would agree because if not 100 percent because uh, probably the number one characteristic or um, determinant of somebody who's ADHD is, how are you with small talk? And we are so bored. And oh my God. I mean, that's that's a completely made up statistic, but it's just... Um, I was watching a video a while ago on YouTube of a guy who's um, on the autistic side of things. And he was saying, I bet you think I'm ADHD. Yeah. Well, I'm not. And I'm going to tell you some of the differences. And one of the differences was, and I've asked some um, ASD autistic uh, friends of mine, and they agree with this, which is they don't understand what small talk is for. It doesn't make sense to them at all. But you say you can do it. They've had to learn to model it, whereas we can do it. We just don't want to. Yeah, I, I don't. I would say, as somebody who is on the awed side of the. ADHD. Mm. I would agree with that. I don't understand what it's for. It's functionally pointless. And I just, I just don't, I, and actually I say I can do it. I can do um, networking, which I loathe as well. Um, but I can go to a network event because I've trained myself. I mean, let's be honest, people at networking events really love talking about themselves. <laughs> so you can just go along and just go, oh, tell me about what you yes. do. And they go, well, I work in lift doors. <laughs> and, <you> then... <laughs> and then, but then off you go and you go, oh, that's so interesting. Tell me all about that. And how long have you been doing it? And, yes. and I've got the bank of questions. But yes. where I find it really difficult is the, the, the hardest situation I find myself in is when you're with people that you know a bit. Yes, yes. And or even well or over a long period of time, but you're not really good friends with yes. them. Yes, yes, yes. I just. I just don't know what to say. I'm squirming. I don't... I'm squirming. Yeah, I've got, sorry to interrupt. I've got this image. So you're walking down the high street of your local town 
Yeah. And there's somebody you know quite well, but not that well. Yeah. And you bump into each other and you almost go on separate sides and you can see you're both making the decision whether you two actually... And then you say, oh, hello, how are you? And hopefully you can remember the name. Uh, if not, you just muddle through and hope that they'll give you a clue. Yeah. And if your partner's with you, that's even worse because then you're supposed to introduce them and you can't think what their name is. So that's another story. But then you then you, you engage in some small talk and you can't go into deep and meaningfuls. You know, you've only got however long. You don't know how long you've got. So there's uncertainty in there as well. And then how do you end it? Oh, ah, uh, I've got to get on because the dog's being groomed at three o'clock. <laughs> not that I have a dog, but... So, yeah, I get it. I get what you're saying. And I've got yeah. this squirmy feeling now. I can feel it. My shoulders are going up. Yes. Oh. Yeah. And oh. yeah, I can see you. And inside me in those situations or like at parties where you are just doing oh. the chit chatty bit, I, I can feel myself thinking, how quickly can <laughs> I, I get out of this? How quickly can I get away? Yes. How can, where's my exit? How can I go? You know, and I'm terrible for, oh, well, you know, oh, I'm just going to go and, oh, I must go and, or whatever, it, you know, mm. go to the loo, fill up my drink, hide somewhere so I don't have to talk to you. I mean, obviously, we're both wonderful people and everybody would be very lucky to to have us in a conversation. We know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that aside, um, they may well be thinking exactly the same thing. I mean, they might be riveted about the lift doors, of course. But um, yes, because that's all we ever talk about. But I do feel anxious. I genuinely feel mm. anxiety well, coming up. Yeah, in, yeah, I could yeah. see it in you. Yeah, my hands were squeezing together at the. But I didn't. Uh, my shoulders yes. are going up. I've got the, uh, this triangle of my arms and my shoulders are going on. It's like. Oh. But I wonder if that comes back to identity, in as much as. <laughs> oh God! I've just got to be in this situation as me. Um, oh, nicely done. <laughs> who, who, but do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Who am I? And whereas, because in small talk, as I said, I can do, hello, how are you? And if I know a little fact about, you know, how's your mum or I heard this, that's the other about you, because there's a function to that. Yes. But then beyond that, I just don't know where to go. I don't even know how to start it. So that's where I make my excuse. I do it for this little, a little tiny bit and then I will go and then I'll probably go to the loo and sit and breathe deeply and think, oh, God. Oh, oh what just, do I do? How do I, I go back in? I've had a thought. I've had a thought. Mm. Um, two thoughts, actually. One is... Mm. What's the... <laughs> the thought has gone. Hold on. So the other thought is... <laughs> no ADHD here. <laughs> um, so i just written down, perhaps it's who should I be being? What, what sort of being role as a... Well, it's which Barbie, uh, as to take it back to your thing. Small talk Barbie. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'll just pull her out of my quiver, Shazam. Uh, no, it's like, rather than who am I, it's like, who should I be? I think the programme that we might have running is, from when we were kids, is you were saying about morphing and fitting in with people. Yes, So yeah. who should I be being in this situation? And actually, you and I... You know, we don't BS, we're authentic. That's the whole point about us. That's why we we coach the people we do because they can sense that in us and it works well and we have, you know, a rapport with them because of that and we're vulnerable and open and so on. And that, I think, is... is I think we share that strength. I could be wrong, but that's what I think. Um, and it's that 
I think that thing from when I was a kid, I remember, especially as a teenager, when all hell's breaking loose anyway with hormones and everything, is like, who should I be being? And I remember one late one girl, a lovely girl called Zoe at school. Zoe was lovely. And she said to me one day in the science lab, I remember it so well, and I'm now a lot older than 15. Um, she said, are you okay, Nikki? And I said, yeah, I'm just a bit, a bit down today. And she said, what are you? Down? You don't get down, do you? And I looked at her and I went, uh, yeah, uh, uh, of course I do. And she said, oh, oh, I didn't know that. And it's because I was the class clown. Yeah. And that was my reinvented self. And um, frankly, when I was about six, I moved around a lot as a kid up and down the country. And it was very difficult for me. It was awful for my brother, who's on the autistic side of things. And I, I found it really difficult, so bless him. But I... I kind of had my little gang when I was in one place for about nine months in the Newcastle area. And that was my way of coping. My dad was basically a bully and I think I'd modelled myself on him. So I wasn't a bully as such, but I was kind of, I threw my little blonde curly headed weight around. (laughs) No, I'm probably about seven. And when we moved, it was great because I could reinvent myself. Mm. I didn't like, and this this ties in with your Barbie thing. Is that Mm. I tried on, because I moved about every six to 12 months when I was a kid. I mean, from Windsor to Newcastle and back down again and Portsmouth and, you know, could have been the moon really when you're that old. You don't know how yeah. how far things are and the accents change and you have to, it makes you good at learning accents quickly. Yes. Um, yeah, and Geordie. Um, and I, I remember not liking the way I'd been for that little phase. And even at my young age thinking, oh, I don't really want to be like that okay, so what do I do about this? And reinventing myself and having the opportunity. So whilst it brought all sorts of challenges, moving around so much up and down the country, it was it was actually, looking back, it was it helps me. It's back what we were talking about earlier, about being flexible and adaptable. It does do that. But it also gave me the chance to settle by the time I was 12 at the last major school move. I stayed there till I was 18. So from the age of 12, basically my ID was, was the class clown. And in a yeah. hopefully funny way where they laughed along with me rather than at me, apart from a couple yes. of notable occasions. And that sort of served me well. And I guess I still, up to a point, when I joined our choir, our chorus, I still use that. I don't use it quite so much now, but it was kind of my way in. I think that's probably quite a common one. Um, mm. I certainly was also a cl- the very much class clown and also use humor is that deflective yes yes it avoids it it helps me avoid small talk exactly. and I, and I also do it and you, you i mean if you think of things that i've said it um our chorus and things like that i will often make a little throwaway remark or something mm. because it it just deflects yeah and yeah it's that but yet we are both people who really love meaningful and purposeful conversation Mm. and I think we've said before that I found it really hard to sort of settle into a new group because I find small talk really difficult whereas I kind of want to get past that and get stuck into the nitty-gritty and feel I've got to know people and so when you and I started having conversations because we were you know about coaching and things like that that was sort of my routine. It's like, oh, I've got one person now that I know. 
And I and maybe as well that the small element of small talk is, is going back to that focus and filter. There's lots of people sometimes when you when you're doing small talk, they're in a it can sometimes it can be one on one, but if it's one on one, there's room to move it into something more purposeful if you yes. have time. Yes. But if you're in a just a sort of chitty chatty group, it just sort of goes on and it's it doesn't go anywhere. And I think, like I said, the function of that conversation then I don't understand. I don't understand. I'd I'd rather sit I'd rather sit in silence. <laughs> yes. Well if we're stuck like that, we can always do uh, yeah, I was gonna say we can sit in silence together, but is that gonna happen? <laughs> yeah, but no. But that's because we've gone beyond yes. We very quickly bypassed that stage and went into it. But linking back to the Barbie thing, and, you know, I made a flippant joke about, oh, I could be small talk Barbie. But but actually, it links in with what you were saying about it being a skill. And maybe, as well as me accepting that I can be all of these Barbies, Carries, I can be all of them, they're all me. I could, I could borrow the persona of small talk Barbie. You can. You can fit it on like... Um... Um, a character, a character part or something. Because uh, mm. we do use all sorts of different things in our life to, to, as, as strategies to, to cope with stuff. And we learn them. And some, mostly they're helpful. Some, some of them aren't. I was just thinking about the, the class clown thing and the quips and so on. And I think it's not just a deflecting thing. It's a means of, how do I put this? Getting people to like us. Because they respond... Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. I don't know. For me, I don't know if that is it because I actually am also aware that it, it irritates some people who are quite yes. serious, who sort of, it, it's a very superfluous thing. Why is this person always sort of making little jokes? For me, it is definitely a... I, I almost, I, well, I can't help myself. I just come out with things. I think I just see the funny side of yes, things yes. and I like I like laughing. I like things being funny. So that's the way I tend to view most situations. Yeah, I think the thing that was springing to mind for me was I mean I completely endorse what you've just said. Yes, that's the starting point. But mm. it's like you know when we're very little and we try something and it seems to work so we adopt that and many people just carry on running that same program throughout their lives yeah. and it's becoming aware of what's going on that we use yes. well I think I think what might have happened when I reinvented myself when I was whatever age I was 11 I'm guessing was I'd been in a dark place because I'd had to leave my best friend in Portsmouth and move and I wasn't allowed to tell anybody because my dad's job and that had repercussions and so of course I told my best friend who told her mother who told some told the teacher at the parents evening who told my parents and then I got into trouble and that was awful. And I still, there's one thing I can't forgive my parents for. It was for giving me grief about that because it was awful for me. Absolutely awful. What, to have to keep the secret? Well, to, no, to not be able to tell, to get into trouble for sharing something with my best friend that was... Yeah, that's what I mean, for, for not being able to say about it. I can feel the emotion now. Yeah. Being ripped away. My coach once said to me, that's strong language. I said, that's how it felt. Right. Mm. My, my world felt ripped apart. And where was I going? <laughs> the emotions come up and flooded me. Um, we were talking about what were we talking about? The opportunity, about? the ability to sort of just reinvent yourself. 
Oh, yes, the class clown. So I think because I came from that upset, that place of upsetness, and then having to go to a new school again and a whole new bunch of kids and hormones starting and everything else aged sort of 12, end of the first year of grammar school or, or secondary school, when everybody was already made their friends, it was tough. And the thing that got me through it was my my friend, my best friend, who also started that day. She was a, a she'd just moved up from Wales, South Wales, and so we were put together on the same desk, and we ended up as best friends, you know, for six years or something. And that that was my saviour. Um, but I think it was almost like an equal opposite reaction, being the class clown. Yeah. And I think probably on one day I said something out loud that made people laugh, and I felt included because I felt very excluded until that part because of moving in when everybody had already teamed up with their buddies and so on. Bing. And so I think it, it, it certainly wasn't conscious, Bing. but I think it came from there. I wouldn't say people pleasing, but a way of helping to fit in. We're back to fitting in. Yeah, I, that's, that's really profound. And do you think that's just become how you deal with situations and, and because you learned to navigate a situation successfully in that one context that you've used it? I think so. Yes, I think I think it's. I mean, I've always had a highly developed sense of the ridiculous, which I shared with my mum and other other people in my life since subsequently. And it's that uh, one partner of mine and I, we we'd be laughing uproariously about something, and we'd giggling and not able to stop laughing, and we'd say to the other, "Why are we laughing? Why is this funny?" And we couldn't answer it. It just was funny, and it was just ridiculous. Yeah, and th- there are occasions and if it's me that's the butt of the ridiculousness I laugh as much as anybody in fact probably more if it's funny yeah as long as people aren't laughing at me Um, they're laughing with me that's very different but um it's that seeing the funny side in anything it's 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 very British actually isn't it it is it is and I think (laughs) you're right I think it can be something that brings people closer to you because I mean I guess if you're somebody who is funny and laughing the majority of people are going to be more drawn to you than if you're very you know austere and um you know severe looking Mm. but yet at the same time I think that always I'm not suggesting you do it always but being somebody who does the one line is the the banter the sort of funny can can be a block to getting to know people better as a, as a as a sort of distancing thing yeah i think it can i certainly i can think of um as a context i used to do um amateur dramatics mm. and there was one um guy in the group and he very much had that sort of sense of humor as well and all we ever did was banter and I got to know him and his wife really 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 well but actually we never really got beyond banter mm. and it became sort of well that's what we do and sometimes I remember thinking oh I wish we could stop this and sort of talk about other things yeah so I think it's about maybe knowing how it serves us I don't know maybe that's over reading too much into it how do we use our humour? It's part of... Humour is part of my personality. It's who I am. I like to laugh. I like to joke with people. I like, you know, with my husband, with my children, we we laugh and joke a lot. Yeah. 
but that's but I also know them really well and can have those conversations yes so I don't think I do have people that I actively keep it at a distance but it maybe it does keep you on sometimes for some people they do feel a bit removed from you because you I don't know make a little comment make a little joke and it distances you somehow I think also it depends on the recipient yeah maybe and the as you said with your um uh Amdram chap it's it's the the um I think you said the severity no I'm well that too no the um frequency and if it's if it's the odd comment I think it's fine and it's um I wrote down earlier spice girls so when you were talking about sports so you sporty spice yeah and then you've got baby spice <laughs> and whatever the others are so glam what was yeah. her name victoria's name oh yeah posh uh, spice posh spice well there you are you see so yes. when you get all glammed up and you go yeah yeah, yeah. so you've got pro- professional spice which is <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so and jokey spice so it's 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 but they make one team and i've got this i've written i've written team and i've written ta which as we know is transactional analysis which is a posh way of saying how people interact with each other and when I talk to clients, they talk about the um, the team that we've got running around in our head. So we've got, if you like, the adult or the whatever in the middle, who's like the judge and sitting there, or, or the the conscious, sensible one. And then you've got the the two parents, so the yeah. nurturing parent and the critical parent, both of whom can be very useful. So the nurturing parents, come on, you've done all that. It's time to sit down, put your feet up, have a bit of a rest. And then you've got the critical parent saying, okay, you've had a rest now. Okay. Is that long enough? Is is it time we did something else? Yeah. So you can use them. They're not just there to nag you. They can be used or support you. Yeah. Um. So, and then you've got bolshy teenager. Doesn't really need much more. And that can be very useful if you're not getting anywhere with a call centre. Uh, but a, a, a dash of bolshy teenager can be very useful. And um, vulnerable child that's five years old in their little shoes and socks. Yes. And they're feeling very sad and I don't know what to do here and uncertain. Um. And then you've got free child who's skipping through puddles and blowing bubbles and being happy and stuff. And there may be many others, but they're this sort of core team that we've got going on in our head. And it's learning, I've found that it's learning how to use those in a productive fashion and knowing which one's going on at any particular time. Well, and I guess then that's, in yeah, which Barbies are going to be useful for me today? Yes. And it's is sort of another way of looking at it. Yeah. And I think it was just for me that sort of, being able to stop and identify that all the different Barbies are mm. me and that that's not a bad thing because I think my go-to is self-criticism. And again, as a lot of people with ADHD have, it's that that self-criticism after years of why am I rubbish at this compared to everybody else? That feeling that you have, why can't I do this? Why can't I organize this why why is everyone else finding this so easy did I miss the day of school when they talked about this Mm. and so rather than rather than thinking of all my Barbies as different aspects of my personality which meant that I don't know who I am it's that they are all me they're all just different parts of me depending on how I feel that day and to be able to celebrate that. Yes, yes. That part of my personality is that I feel different, different days and that's okay. And and that makes you, and I like to think me, the interesting, rich, flexible, adaptable, challenging, funny, fun 
whatever we are. Mm. Sorry, that will sounds a bit arrogant, but it's true. Yeah. Those are traits that we have at least some of the time. And it's it's you being that rich person, you know, that's why I'm sitting here with you, because you are that person. Well, exactly. That's why we're friends and that's how we why we get on so well. And on that note. Ah, it's been great talking to you again, as always. Thank you, Carrie. And um, we'll catch up, what, in a couple of weeks? Fantastic. Thanks for joining us today. See you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the ADHD Connection. Um, as we're just starting out, it would really help if you spread the word to anyone else who might like to listen. So please, could you click to subscribe, leave a review on your usual podcast app, especially Apple, Spotify, Google or YouTube. And of course, we'd love you to like and share it. If you want to find out more about us, our websites are in the show notes. And thanks again. We're looking forward to being back with you in a couple of weeks. Thank you.